Hi everyone, I'm Tavi Nasir, and this is Leadership Biz Cafe, a podcast that explores some of the challenges and opportunities leaders face in today's increasingly complex, fast-paced, and interconnected global market. Leadership Biz Cafe is brought to you by Tavid Nasir Leadership, our leadership firm that provides both virtual and in-person leadership keynotes, corporate trainings, and consulting services that will help you to improve the way you lead. To learn more about our services and what some of our clients have had to say about our work, visit our company's website at tavinasir.com. And while you're there, check out my award-winning internationally acclaimed leadership blog as well. And now, let's meet my guest for this episode, Dr. Shannon Minifee. It's a stance about what is unknown. So not, so not just, oh, I'm not sure what's gonna happen next, and so let's go find out. But, huh, I'm not sure what's gonna happen next. That's making me feel a little bit out of control. It's making me feel a little bit afraid. Um, and I can approach that from a perspective of fear, or I can come at that with this sort of openness um, and 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 just you know embracing that thing that's unknown and that is going to make me more capable of learning more open to new perspectives it's going to make me less afraid of failing and so it's gonna it's gonna help me better learn and better succeed shannon is the ceo of box of crayons a canadian consultancy firm that works with organizations to transform their leadership from the typical top-down advice-driven approach to one that's curiosity-led. Recently, she published the white paper From Troublemaker to Changemaker, How to Harness Curiosity to Build Resilience and Innovation, which not only explores the more relevant aspects of curiosity for today's organizations, but how leaders can support a more curiosity-focused approach within their workplace. It's also gonna be the focus of our conversation as we explore the role curiosity plays in today's leadership. Hi, Shannon. Welcome to the Leadership Biz Cafe. Hi, Tanvira. Thanks for having me. Shannon, I'm really looking forward to discussing with you the role curiosity in leadership plays in terms of driving growth and innovation. As in my keynote about my book, Leadership Vertigo, I discussed the importance of tapping into our innate sense of curiosity so we can get a better understanding of how we're really showing up in those interactions with our employees. And I remind attendees that all of us still have that sense of curiosity. All you have to do is to see how willing we are to binge watch a show, right? We want to see what's going to happen next or how we get drawn into playing a game on our smartphone. And when we reach or complete a level, we want to start the next one because we want to see what's in store next. And what I found interesting about what you write in your white paper from troublemaker to change maker is how you point out that there's really a right type of curiosity, which is when leaders tap into it, it will drive innovation and resilience. And I imagine it might also help get your employees on board with your change initiative. So before we delve into your model of what you call the change maker curiosity, I'm wondering if you could explain what is the difference between this form of curiosity and what many leaders think of when they think of curiosity? Yeah, we, curiosity is a, um, on the one hand, it's a really easy thing to kind of define. It doesn't require deep definition, right? It's not a deep theoretical concept, but, but what we are talking about in the white paper when we talk about change maker curiosity as distinct from troublemaker curiosity, what we're pointing to there is that people tend to think about curiosity as being a bit 
a bit like meandering, childish, maybe like flippant even. Um, and as opposed to something that can really be harnessed um, for, for change um, and an impetus for, for change um, and something that can, can give agency to, to the person who is being invited to be more curious. So you were just talking about sort of as an adult, you know, we're curious it, when we're, when we binge watch a show, we want to see what happens next. And I think that's great. <laughs> Absolutely. We've all done a lot of binge watching of shows over the last year. Um, but what we're, well, when we're talking about change maker curiosity, we're talking about in particular, the ability to get a little more vulnerable um, and embrace the unknown. So it's, it's a stance about what is unknown. So not, so not just, oh, I'm not sure what's going to happen next. And so let's go find out. But, huh, I'm not sure what's going to happen next. That's making me feel a little bit out of control. It's making me feel a little bit afraid. Um, and I can approach that from a perspective of fear. Or I can come at that with this sort of openness um, and, and, and just, you know, embracing that thing that's unknown. And that is going to make me more capable of learning, more open to new perspectives. It's going to make me less afraid of failing. And so it's going to, it's going to help me better learn and better succeed. So sort of a long-winded answer, but when we think about change maker curiosity, that's the kind of, um, that, that's the kind of openness to the unknown um, that, that we're trying to have leaders and, and everybody in organizations who we work with embrace. Yeah, I actually love that explanation because, you know, it reflects some of the outcomes you point out that the change maker curiosity model gives rise to where we're encouraging learning and empathetic opening. Because a lot of times when we think about change and emboldening curiosity, a lot of times we're looking at it from the perspective of driving innovation. And particularly in the context of this global pandemic we've all endured, how do we become more resilient and how do we become more adaptive to changes that might be outside of our control so we can become more adaptive and resilient so we can continue to proceed in achieving the goals we set out to achieve. And I know a lot of times when we think of curiosity, that's where we start, right? A lot of times it's like, okay, so how can we use this to be more innovative, more resilient? But as you point out in this white paper, really, we got to start right at the beginning. We got to start with ourselves. And it's with these things where you're saying we got to become more introspective and create that environment for learning both within and for your employees as well. So I'd love to hear your insights on how embracing a curious mindset could help us not only become more introspective, but encourage a true learning environment inside our workplace. Yeah, absolutely. Well, like you said, it, it starts, it, you know, it, it starts with yourself, right? Because part of what you're trying to do if you're approaching um, others with a what we call coach-like curiosity, so this ability to slow down the rush to action and stay curious longer, you're both yourself practicing curiosity and holding the space for others to ask questions and identify challenges. And so kind of learn and be curious in their own right. So it's, it's both for yourself and, and for others. And that's part of the introspective intelligence aspect of that. So um, what, what we're trying to do usually with leaders, but often with, um, with folks at all, any level in the organization is to help them shift their behavior away from being more advice driven and sort of bias to quick action 
and to slow down and be more curiosity led. And the, the first domino to fall around, to fall around that is, is usually that we have to help people shift their mindset around really two things in particular. So, so first it's the idea that it is their job or a way for them to add value is to jump in and give advice and give action and give direction. And that asking questions somehow shows that you, you know, showing you don't know the answer by asking questions is, is dangerous for you or wrong. And then the second thing that we're trying, we're trying to have people shift away from is the idea that jumping in and giving advice and giving direction right away um, is actually useful or helpful to the recipient of that advice or to the organization as a whole. So most people believe it is their job and they believe that it is useful. And we want them to see that actually it's, it's not your job to jump in and give advice, but to help other people learn. And part of how you help other people learn is by creating that space for them to ask questions, to dig deeper and figure out what the real challenge is, um, and to take accountability and an agency when they discover what the real challenge is um, and, and how they're going to they're gonna act on that and what they're going to try next. Um, and that's where the learning takes place. Absolutely agree with you. In fact, I could tell you this is something many leaders struggle with and why I often discuss this issue in some of my leadership workshops. Because on the surface, it's easy to say we need to be more introspective, but then in practice, it turns out to be a lot harder than we imagine. And many times it's because we're not asking the right questions. In fact, in one of my workshop exercises, I get leaders to better understand the difference between what asking what I call not right questions and right questions, which I'm sure those who attend my workshops can now appreciate listening to this conversation, really has to do with are we asking questions from a mindset of curiosity, where we're trying to encourage our employees to discover and understand what is the best approach that they can come up with so they develop the learning, as opposed, as you said, we're only looking to confirm what we know and we're just giving out advice and just telling people, okay, here's what you need to do in this situation. Right. Like, are you asking leading questions to, like, you know, to, to what you just said to confirm whether or not someone knows something or not? Are you, are you asking leading questions to try to maintain control of the conversation or are you, are you really giving up that space to the other person? Because for us, this kind of curiosity is fundamentally about the other person. So it is not about leading questions. It is totally about giving up your power in that exchange so that it goes in the direction that the, that the other person wants to take it. Right. Absolutely. And so Shannon, we've been discussing curiosity from the individual perspective, right? Of becoming more aware of how we're showing up in that conversation. Are we looking at it from the perspective of just like, I'm going to just going to tell you what to do. I'm going to give you my advice to really, as you said, asking these leading questions where we're just trying to invite the person into the conversation to kind of help share their insights and collectively we're going to work to figure out what would be the best approach, what makes most sense from their perspective of what would help resolve the situation. But what's interesting about your change maker curiosity model is that it broadens the role of curiosity further out to the organizational level where it can help foster something that I sincerely believe we're lacking, not just in our workplaces, but in our communities and societies. And it's something you call empathetic openness, where we're using our curiosity to understand what is someone's reality? What's 
different about their experiences and what they encounter? What is what we often call their lived experiences of how they, when they go into work, when they walk in our communities, how does it differ from ours and what's causing that difference? And is there something we need to do to address it? And this leads to that next step of using that newfound awareness and understanding to foster relationships, because now we understand one another and we see those differences, not as challenges, but opportunities to build and grow something new, which leads to the third element in this part of your model, energized engagement, where we're now combining these understandings and the relationships we're now truly building to engender a true spirit of collaboration where all parties are equally participating and contributing to make that aspirational vision or idea a true reality for all. But here's the question I have for you, Shannon. How do we know we're getting these steps right? Right. I think we all have, and I'd like to think, especially the people who listen to us podcast, the leaders have these best intentions. They sincerely believe they are making these steps. But how do we use that introspective quality we discussed earlier to make sure we are, in fact, being more empathetic, that we're creating that psychologically safe environment for people to share their ideas and their insights, and that we're truly creating relationships where we care about one another because now we see we're all driven by the same goals, dreams, and aspirations? Yeah, I mean, they like you described the process well. Like for us, all of these outcomes, they they can flow from one another. Another way of thinking about it is that curiosity as a, a sort of baseline shift in behavior has the ability to um, increase our capacities, both as individuals and as organizations along those lines. So that the individual capacity that is bolstered by curiosity is around being em- uh, empathetically open, um, as you pointed out. And then that would that can translate into higher engagement in the organization. So what I love the most about this empathetic openness is this sense of, you talked about lived experience, understanding the lived experience of others, or if not even being able to understand it, being open to how different that perspective is from your own. So I love sort of the, the role of awe and wonder in that kind of empathetic openness. So there's really not an impulse to, um, to control another's experience or to translate it into your own experience, but just like, again, about creating space for, for, for what might be a completely different kind of experience. So when people feel like there is that kind of inclusion of their perspective and that kind of inclusion is um, encouraged, fostered, there's space made for it. It can, um, that perspective contributes to the organization in, in all kinds of ways that, that help with that innovation that increases people's sense of belonging and increases their, their engagement. So that's sort of, that's how we see it sort of translating into that organizational, that organizational impact from the individual behavior. One of the um, sort of models that we think about sometimes in connecting the individual behavior to the organizational outcome is Edgar Schein's work. And you're probably familiar with him. Um, He talks about sort of culture having three elements. So you've got at the sort of above the water line, you have artifacts. So those 
um, aspects of the environment that you think you can point to that tell you about the way the company is. So, you know, you walk into a company and all of the walls are painted different colors and you're like, yeah, this must be like a fun place because that seems to be what they're trying to suggest here. Or you go into an office, you know, in the before times uh, and it's an open concept and you're like, wow, this must be really collaborative. So those kind of artifacts. And then the next level uh, Shine talks about are espoused values. So these are the sort of words on the wall, the story the company tells about itself, uh, which may or may not be true, but it's it's the it's the it's what what they say about themselves. So the artifacts are what they show about themselves, and the espoused values are what they say. And sort of below the waterline um, are the real habits. Uh, of how things actually get done around there, uh, around that company. And so what you want to try to, you know, what we're thinking is that we we close that say-do gap when we see those individual behaviors around, you know, encouraging um, other perspectives through curiosity, making its way across the entire organization so that becomes the, the cultural norm and becomes the way things are done around here. You know, Shannon, there's something you've been saying throughout your response here that I just want to take a magnifying glass and just amplify it here because I think uh, we hadn't really touched on it, but I really want to make sure our listeners get it, which is that a lot of times we think about curiosity, and I've actually seen a lot of literature written on it. We tend to define curiosity as being a trait. So a lot of times leaders are going to think, okay, so this means I have to look for curious-minded people and just make sure I'm guiding them and providing them the environment where I'm asking open-ended questions, I'm not giving them advice. But as you've been showcasing through your response just now, what we're really talking about is not a trait, it's a behavior. And so this is something that as leaders, we can definitely use through how we communicate and through what we emphasize people as being important, we can encourage our employees to emulate and demonstrate because we're showing we have this curiosity and we value them being curious about how they approach their work and how they interact and engage with one another. Absolutely. I mean, um, folks who write about curiosity, you know, not even specifically in the workplace, but who studies like the psychology of curiosity, people like um, Todd Cashton and Ian Leslie and others talk a lot about this trait versus state. This is sort of like a backbone of curiosity, you know, in the discourse. Um, so this just uh, Ian Leslie in particular argues that it doesn't need, um, we, well, we're all born with a propensity to be curious. There are things that will dampen and things that will encourage that curiosity. And most, you know, in, in the realm of education, this is a huge topic, like ways, how do you get kids to be more curious? Um, how do you get them more engaged? Um, and, you know, from Montessori to other you know, approaches to education, um, educators are really engaged in trying to increase curiosity. And there's some good research as well that there are so many environmental factors that will that will hinder that. Um, like you mentioned, psychological safety in the workplace, um, in children, and I'm sure in adults too, like your physical safety, um, or where your next meal is coming from are things that can hinder people's ability to, to come to show up at school or work with that kind of uh, openness to learn and openness to curiosity. So when, you know, if, if, educa if educators are spending all this time trying to figure out how do we increase curiosity so that people can be better learners at school, it, it occurred to me when I was doing, you know, reading about curiosity a few years ago, that it seems like such a miss that organizations aren't taking the research of people like Francesca Gino and others and thinking about how to increase 
the capacity for the organization to foster um, a, a state of curiosity, <laughs> to increase that curiosity for their employees so that they're better learners and that they're more engaged. So yeah, absolutely. It, it starts out uh, as it is not a trait. Otherwise, your talent strategy would be trying to hire people who in some way demonstrate curiosity in their interview. But really, this is an organizational impetus to create a culture of curiosity that is reinforced in all kinds of ways, like how how much do people get to participate and how things are done? How often um, do people get to ask questions? Can people ask questions without fear of some sort of punitive punishment? Can are people allowed to try and and fail? You know, like is that kind of learning of taking risks at the at the risk of failing encouraged? Um, or do people focus on learning outcomes over performance outcomes um, is one of the key defining things that Francesca Gino found in organizations that are um, more curiosity led. They focused on they focus on learning um, as the metric as opposed to performance on its own. You know, I'm absolutely loving that you're bringing up Francesca Gino's studies on this because I always find her work really fascinating. And I think you've actually even given us the perfect segue because so far we've been discussing curiosity being a behavior. So that's at the individual level. And now we've been discussing it at the organizational level in terms of, as you said, creating a culture of curiosity in your workplace. And so now I think we're getting that point in the process of fostering curiosity that you talk about in your change maker curiosity model, where leaders tend to spend a lot of their time, which I mentioned at the start of our conversation, is that is how do I drive innovation? And as I said, in light of the numerous disruptions we all had to endure thanks to the COVID-19 pandemic, how do we become more resilient so we could be more adaptive to such unforeseen challenges and changes in the future? Now, given the precursors to this stage we've discussed, I was wondering, Shannon, if you could tie them in here so we could truly appreciate why we can't jump over steps here out of a sense of urgency. Well, this is all great, Tamara and Shannon, but look, we got to hit the ground running here. We've had a setback. I really got to get started. Why do we have to recognize that, no, this is a process that we have to start at the individual level and build out from there before we can really discuss how do we use curiosity to drive innovation and build further resilience in our organization? Well, I don't, I, I don't think it's so much a, a step like that. Certainly that's not like, that's not how we work with organizations that it's, you know, we start at the individual level and we work our way up to the organizational level, but that that's how change, that's how organizations change. Like the culture of organizations are dictated by simply the way things are done around here. Right. So like a simple definition of culture is the way things are done around here. So if you want to shift the way things are done around here, going back to Ed Shine's model, you can change the way the office is laid out. Uh, again, in the before times, we have changed the way the office is laid out, right? So, yeah, right. So, so your artifacts are there. But artifacts also include things like how people dress, whether or not you swear. There's all kinds of little you know, indicators of like, this might be the kind of place this is. Um, you could change your values, right? People hire consultants and they come in, they're like, we're going to change all of our values. We're going to put curiosity in every single one. Um, but you're going to still get the say-do gap if simply the way things are done around here habitually like how things get done when no one is looking, that is that is the level of intervention um, that we play with. So our programs um, are, you know, sometimes we deliver them to leaders uh, only and sometimes part of leadership development and sometimes they are th through the entire organization. But the, the organization's culture shifts when the people, when the way things are done shift. So what we're trying to have people do is make, coach like curiosity, you know, 
showing up and asking more questions and staying curious longer, part of how they approach any interaction. So anytime it's not just a, you know, some strict coaching conversation or some developmental one-on-one once a quarter, but every time you have an an interaction with somebody, there's a chance for you to be more coach-like. There's a chance for you to be a little bit more humble and recognize that there are things beyond what you know. And so stay curious a little bit longer and that can help you bring in other perspectives. It can help you, you know, you know, lower your own status a bit as a leader to make sure that, that other people are heard and participate and that'll increase their engagement and increase the ideas you get. Um, so, so all of these, these ways in which the, the practice of asking questions and being comfortable sitting in the unknown for a little longer before you, you know, rush on to action. That's the, that's what we're trying to, um, to have people practice as, as a way of showing up. So I, you know, in your question, um, that urgency of, you know, like it's been things are, we've got to get going. I think one, um, barrier for people is certainly that, the, the idea of, okay, we're going to ask some more questions might feel like, oh, we're going to slow things down. Right. If I ask people, if we ask, if we slow down and ask more questions, or I open the floor to more questions, it's just going to get in the way of all the stuff that I have to do. Um, But if you're not focusing on the right thing, because, because you've skirted over what the real challenge is, or you've missed an opportunity to interrogate and inquire a little bit further to make sure you're focused on the right thing. That's a huge loss. That's one of that, that, that's a huge challenge our clients face is not focusing on, on the critical things that matter or focusing on the wrong thing. So Shannon, you just mentioned how slowing things down and making time to ask questions to flex that curiosity muscle can feel like a barrier to getting things done. And I imagine many of our listeners are probably wondering what other barriers leaders might face in trying to foster a more curiously led approach in their organization. And in your white paper, you point out that there are, in fact, four barriers that can impede your ability to succeed at this. So I was wondering, Shannon, if you could share what these four barriers are and how can leaders address them as they make this move to a more curious-led approach to their leadership? Yeah, absolutely. So let's start with the most um, sort of individual behavior one. Cause some of like with the four barriers we lay out, some of these are more at the individual level and some of them are more at the organizational level. Again, these things are connected. Um, The first at the individual level is that barrier is what we call the advice monster. So this is your desire to jump in and give advice. It is um, the belief that, Uh, you know, telling people what to do, controlling the situation, um, saving the person from from a misstep is is helpful to you, is helpful to them, is helpful to the organization. There's certainly a place for advice. Um, So I'll just say that. Um, Being able to give advice or to mentor people is important and it has its place. But being able to slow down that rush into jumping in and give advice is what we're trying to have people do. And so that this advice monster, this, this desire to show, add value, share your learning, share your experience, look smart, control the situation. That is the behavioral um, impediment to being curious that, that we want people to overcome. And in our programs, we tackle that head on. So that's the really specific thing that we're, we're trying to offer up 
curiosity and asking questions as an antidote to that habit of rushing in and, and trying to give advice. That's kind of at a behavioral level. There is related to that, an organization's environment can be a real impediment to uh, leaders and others asking questions. So there could be, um, you know, a fear of losing face, uh, a fear of, of not having answers and not asking uh, asking questions. There could be a fear of asking questions, which makes you look like you don't know what you're supposed to know. Um, there could be the fear of asking questions, um, you know, and breaking some sort of hierarchy um, uh, or, you know, annoying higher ups by asking those kinds of questions and, and fear sort of of punishment for asking those questions. So thinking about psychological safety there, you know, are people uh, encouraged and do they feel safe having contrary views without being um, sort of disciplined or, or singled out because of that. So there are organizations who that want to have more curious leaders, but whose overall environments um, and, and current cultures get it, get in the way of that. Another one that we see is what we call delusion. So um, this is something that comes from Francesca Gino's work, which is this sort of gap between what usually senior leaders see as a curious culture and what most of the rest of the organization sees. So this seems to be linked to the idea that the more senior you are, the more sort of comfortable um, you are and the more you perceive that your, your voice is heard, your, people are allowed to be curious, it's safe to be curious, it's safe to question, it's safe to interrogate. And at the sort of further down the rung you go, it's, it's less safe and, and less uh, possible and, and invited for, inviting for you to, to be curious. And then the, the sort of first one that we say, um, and one of our clients we've done extensive work with had this issue themselves is complacency. So, you know, it, a big um, barrier to curious thinking is just kind of believing that you've arrived and, and getting sort of comfortable about what you do and your place in the market or, you know, the structure of your company and just sort of sitting back on, uh, you know, resting on, on your laurels and that sort of, you know, that sort of comfort level of having arrived can get in the way of you staying curious and innovative. And then that'll eventually become a problem for the organization. Love it. In fact, I can imagine many people listening right now are probably thinking, oh, yeah, that's exactly the problem I see. And those who weren't are thinking, okay, that's true. I hadn't considered that, which is one of the reasons why I'm so glad that you brought these up. But I'm just kind of wondering, as we wrap up our conversation here, what's one piece of advice you'd like to give to our listeners who maybe realize they need to now, especially hearing those four obstacles, bring more curiosity, not only to the way they lead, but to be a champion for their employees and their workplace. Aside from those four obstacles we just discussed, what else should they be keeping in mind? I think the biggest thing to keep in mind is um, if I've in any way made it seem easy I want to disabuse you of that idea. <laughs> so it is, it is a simple, it is a, um, it is a simple approach that we take to helping folks. It is a um, very whittled down shift from advice to curiosity, but it is, it's really, really hard. Like the, the backbone of that advice monster is just like a really, ingrained um 
you know, a sense of needing to show your value, to, to have the answers, to, to lead, you know, by, by telling people what to do. It's really, really hard to overcome that. Like I, um, I try to meet myself in team meetings as often as I can, <laughs> um, like on Zoom, so that I can let other people speak longer, speak, speak first, speak most. Um, so it's, it's both a, a, a simple shift as we've isolated it, but it shouldn't be um, mistaken for being a simple shift in, in behavior. But it's just, it's so important. Like the things that happen that you can see happen when you start to give away your power and have other people take accountability, just the, the shift in engagement and ownership that happens when you let people claim a little more space for themselves um, is, is fantastic to experience when you can do it. Wonderful. Shannon, thank you so much for coming on my show to discuss the importance of curiosity. I think your change maker curiosity model really helps to illustrate how there's both a micro and macro level role curiosity needs to play both in how we lead and the environment we create for employees. So I hope our conversation has made our listeners curious to evaluate how they operate today and what they need to do going forward to not only drive innovation and growth, but create that environment that inspires and empowers their employees to bring their very best to the work they do. That's right. So yeah, if you want to take a look at the at the white paper some more from Troublemaker to Changemaker, how to harness curiosity to build resilience and innovation, you can download it at boxofcrayons.com. Perfect. And I'll be sure to include that link in the show notes for this episode as well for those who'd like to download a copy. Again, thank you, Shannon, for coming on my show to discuss curiosity and the role it plays in today's organizations. Thank you so much. This was so fun. I've been talking with Dr. Shannon Minifee about her work looking into the role curiosity plays in not only helping organizations become more innovative, but how it can help empower learning and development, as well as organizational resilience. To learn more about her work and to get a link to her white paper from Troublemaker to Changemaker, Check out the show notes for this episode at tavernaseer.com slash LBC. And that's a wrap on this episode of Leadership Biz Cafe brought to you by Tavernaseer Leadership. Now, if you enjoyed learning about this or other insights I've discussed here on my leadership podcast and you'd be interested in having me share them with your employees, I'd like to invite you to fill out the contact form on our website at tavernaseer.com so we can start that discussion. You can also check out my speaking page on our company website to learn more about my speaking services and the kinds of topics I cover. In the meantime, I'd like to encourage you to share this or other episodes of my podcast with your colleagues and employees. The easiest way to do this is to simply share a link to my show's podcast page at tavernaseer.com LBC. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review my leadership podcast on your preferred podcast platform. And with that... I'm Tavin Nasir, and you've been listening to Leadership Biz Cafe.